think it's got to be intentional, right? I think you have to intentionally decide that you want to have a relationship with somebody. I think you have to make sure that you, you reach out to them and connect with them. I think it has to be genuine. I don't reach out when I want something and I'm always clear to say, hey, look, if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know that as well. And also not being afraid to raise your hand, particularly when I was a younger attorney, there would be opportunities and sometimes folks didn't want to raise their hand because maybe they were intimidated or nervous. And I was too, but I would raise my hand because if you don't step outside your comfort zone, you'll stay in your comfort zone and you won't go to where you want to go. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead, a podcast that challenges the notion that the law lags behind. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Each week, I invite a lawyer who's making powerful changes through extraordinary leadership. In each episode, we'll travel through another lawyer's life, identify what they do best, and then devise how to apply these concepts to your own world. So let's get to it. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Our guest today is fostering change in the legal industry through thought leadership, advocacy, and mentorship. He is the corporate counsel for Advanced Auto Parts, where he provides advisory and risk management support to the business's key stakeholders. He is also an active participant in the Minorities in the Profession Committee and the Burlington Alumni Chapter of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity. This is a lawyer who has received numerous recognitions for his work, including Black Enterprises Modern Man, Business North Carolina's legal elite in employment law and was named a rising star in labor and employment law in the 2021 North Carolina Super Lawyers. Welcome our next lawyer who leads, Sydney Minter. Sydney, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's really good to have you here. I've been trying something new where I'm replacing how are you with another fun question instead. So are you ready? I'm ready. What is your favorite moment from today? Good question. Let me think. Favorite moment from today waking up. That's the most important part of the day. Without that, you don't have a day. So that's the most important part of the day. Awesome. Tell me a little bit about what does your wake up routine look like? Yeah. So I wake up, I brush my teeth, get myself together. I've been working remotely for the last 18 months. So I'll come downstairs to my office. I will burn a candle. I will set my speaker to soothing sounds. So rain sounds or ocean sounds. I have a daily devotional book that I like to read. It takes me a couple minutes to read through that. And then I get my day started. I love that. I also light a candle every morning and I absolutely love it. There is something about it that makes you feel just so centered when you light it up. Tell me about this daily devotional book. What book is it? So the name of the book is Daily Strength for Men. It's 365 day devotional. A mother bought it for me for Christmas. It's just a religious faith-based book. And it just has good messages every day that kind of helps you center. I started doing a daily devotional probably several years ago, but I hadn't been as consistent. And my word for 2022 has been consistency. So I've been consistently doing it every day and I'm proud of myself for doing it. And now it's, it's a habit, right? I've done it for more than 30 days. So it's, it's, it's a no brainer. I just do it every morning and, and get my day started. What was it? Do you mind me asking what it was today? So it's not just like a couple words, but I can tell you the title. Okay. So today's message was testing God's patience. I love it. And so you read about that and then you incorporate that into your day. Incorporate it into my day. A lot of times they will ask questions that you have to think about as it relates to the message for the day. And then I'll do that. I think it helps me slow down because normally you're thinking, I have a lot of things I have to do today. And I'm like in the morning, if I can slow down, have my daily devotional. Think about the questions, 
it helps me slow down. And that just continues to make me feel that way throughout the day. Nice and calm. You're inspiring me. I want to do some sort of setting intention or daily devotional every day. And I love this idea of committing to a concept for, for the year and that Instead of having New Year's resolutions, you're like, no, there's a concept that I'm going to be focusing on. And consistency is such an incredible one. Sydney, I'm loving this. You are doing really incredible things. Would you mind sharing a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Sure. I think it starts back in law school. I went to the North Carolina Central University School of Law in Durham, North Carolina. And when I came to law school, I did not know what kind of law I wanted to practice. I knew I didn't want to do criminal law, but outside of that, I wasn't exactly sure. So I ended up getting an internship at the end of my first year of law school. I worked at the North Carolina Court of Appeals as an intern. And I also worked for another corporation as well for half of the summer. And it was during that internship that I learned the different areas of the law. So I learned, I, I shadowed employment lawyer, somebody who worked in contracts, somebody who worked in mergers and acquisitions. And I was like, I really like this type of work. But at the end of that summer, my mentor told me at the time that they weren't hiring people right out of law school. So I needed to go out and get some training and get some, understand how to practice law. So I did that. I practiced for a couple of years. And in 2013, I had a lunch or dinner, I believe, with the vice president of legal for a company I interned with. He said, Sydney, every corporation needs a good employment lawyer. At that time, I hadn't even considered employment law. But after that, I really thought about it. I went back to my firm and coincidentally, my firm was also trying to transition over to having an employment law group. So I volunteered for that group. I said, look, whatever y'all need me to do, research, writing things for the content, for the website, whatever it is you need me to do, I'm in because I'm interested in this area of the law and I want to learn it. I reached out to some folks that were already practicing employment law. There was one particular person, a friend of mine who was practicing employment law and she met with me, went through employment law one-on-one, if you will, with me during a lunch hour. And that really motivated me to want to do more and learn more. So that's how I got into it. And then I decided I need a bigger platform because that particular firm didn't offer employment law as a primary practice group. And so I sought out another firm that could offer that work to me. And I started practicing in the national labor and employment law there. I did that for about three and a half, four years and I had an opportunity to move back to Raleigh, which I did in 2018. And I practiced at a firm there for about two years of, of a bigger national labor and employment law firm. Prior to beginning practice of law in 2011, I knew that I wanted to practice for about eight to 10 years in private practice to get the experience. And then I wanted to transition to in-house. So just coincidentally, I always say I did it intentionally, but it was really a happenstance that literally one day before I would have gone into my ninth year of practice, I began my career here at my current company as in-house counsel. So that's the background. There are so many things that I want to ask you. First of all, you've talked about a few different people that you've had really helpful conversations with, like mentors, right, who have given you really excellent advice throughout your career. I wish I had those people when I was practicing law. Maybe I would have practiced for longer. Tell me about these people. How did you meet them? How did they come into your life? Yeah, so there was a program through the Minorities and Profession Committee. Basically, at the time, we had six law schools in North Carolina. So each of the law schools would select, I think it was two to three students who would then go to this Minorities and Profession Day where they would have maybe five or six firms and maybe five or six in-house corporate counsel opportunities. And you would interview. So I was selected from my school, one of three. I'd had a good day. I interviewed well. 
at the end of the day, you had to be number one on either the law firm or the in-house counsel corporate law department's list. If you were number two on five of those lists, you didn't get an internship. Wow. So I was like number two, several. So at the end of the day, I didn't get an internship. So I was a little bit dejected. I was like, I did my best. One of the guys that was there, I didn't know him at all. He reached out to me. He said, you did a really good job. You were very impressive. Sorry that things didn't work out for you. Maybe three, four days later, he reaches out to me again. He was like, hey, I went back to my, my boss and um, told him that, that I met you and that you were outstanding and that you deserved an opportunity to have an internship. But do you still need an internship? I'm like, yes. And this was a very big company. And so I worked there that summer. And then his boss was the guy that I had lunch with, who was somebody I'm still in contact with, who's now general counsel of a huge company in Tennessee. And before I ended up coming to the company I'm with now, he reached out to me and said, if you ever decide you want to move to Tennessee, let me know that we can see about an opportunity for you. So the importance of mentorship has been critical in my career. What do you think it is about building relationships? Because you say you still have relationships with these people today. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the most important way to continue building and maintaining and sustaining good relationships with other people? I think it's got to be intentional, right? I think you have to intentionally decide that you want to have a relationship with somebody. I think you have to make sure that you, you reach out to them and connect with them. I think it has to be genuine. I don't reach out when I want something and I'm always clear to say, hey, look, if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know that as well. And also not being afraid to raise your hand. I think sometimes, particularly when I was a younger attorney, there would be opportunities and sometimes folks didn't want to raise their hand because maybe they were intimidated or nervous. And I was too, but I would raise my hand because I'm like, if you don't step outside your comfort zone, you'll stay in your comfort zone. You'll stay right where you're at. You won't go to where you want to go. So I've just always been very courageous and not afraid to raise my hand and, and try something and put myself out there. So that's helped too. That's awesome. Where do you think that comes from? My mom, my mother. She's courageous. She's probably the strongest person I know. And I've just seen her do all types of things during my life that have inspired me. And uh, I've never seen her back down from a challenge. So I get it from her for sure. As a mom myself, I, I have to say that I get very excited when people recognize their mothers like that. I'm like, yes, all the yes. I love that. Yes, very important. So now you're working at Advanced Auto Parts. You're in-house counsel, you basically got to where you wanted to be. And you actually were very intentional about, you said, I wanted to practice for this many years before I went into in-house counsel. You had a roadmap. You have achieved that roadmap. You've gotten to where you need to be. Not to say that this is the end of the road, but it's definitely an, a huge achievement. So talk to me about what you're doing now. Yeah, actually, people ask me this. Do you like it? Do you miss private practice? The answer to that is no, I do not miss private practice. <laughs> I really enjoy the level of autonomy that I have and the cases. I enjoy honestly working with non-lawyers, right? When you're in private practice, you're working with lawyers 100% of the time. In-house, I get to work with all types of people with different backgrounds, with different problems and different issues that they need my help. I'm a big sports guy. Really, I feel like I'm part of a team here. When I help people with an issue, people say thank you. And they're appreciative of your time. And that's something that if anyone who's worked in at big law firms know that you don't get that, right? It's a very thankless job when you work in house. At least my experience has been people have been very nice to me. They have been thankful when I've been able to help them. Being an employment lawyer, COVID has taken over a lot of my days. 
And so that's been something I've had to learn and the speed and pace of with which, you know, the company wants to move and pivoting based on the CDC's guidance and state and local laws that are out there and trying to stay in compliance with all those different things. We've got a very big company, a very big enterprise, over 70,000 team members across the country. We're also in Puerto Rico, India, and other areas. So trying to stay on top of everything in these different areas is a challenge, but it's been fun. The group that I have been working with, they've all been awesome. Everybody works extremely hard, but also everybody is quick to say thank you for working. So for me, as long as I feel appreciated, I'm happy. I'm going to work hard. That's just my nature. But to feel appreciated is something that I, I appreciate. Absolutely. Recognition and appreciation is just it's so easy to do. And I don't understand why it's so hard for people to do it. <laughs> I agree. Very easy to do. So easy. Like, why are we being stingy with being nice to people? <laughs> These are the tough questions. <laughs> so talk to me about your team a little bit. What does your team look like? So I report to our, our vice president and chief compliance officer. So we have three labor and employment lawyers and we've got two paralegals and we've got a director of compliance. We're all in one team. And recently we hired two other employees that handle our EEOC charges. So they handle the responses to those. So now we've got a pretty big team and we all obviously report up to the general counsel of the company. But my team is awesome. We all work together extremely well. Between the three employment lawyers, I have about half the country in terms of the stores. My other colleague has the other half of the country. My other colleague, he handles supply chain and all the issues that bubble up based on that which include union issues as well. He does the traditional labor work. My colleague and I, who handle the stores, we do all employment work. So 70,000 employees collectively, right, that you guys are all thinking about all the time. And then you have the pandemic on top of that that's putting a lot of pressure to ensure that you're staying compliant and doing the right thing. But then there's also this other aspect of people's lives. These are people, right, at the end of the day. Tell me, how do you balance in your work thinking about the people at the organization versus the work that you do versus your team members. What does that look like? Yeah, for me, the people are the most important. When I was in private practice, people would say, oh, you represent big companies. And I'm like, no, I represent the people that work at the company. Those people are fathers, mothers, sisters, daughters. They have children. So they deserve representation and have somebody looking out for their best interests. So that's how I feel about the work that I do within the company. I do work for the company, but I feel like I work for the people in the company and the relationships that I've built there and I continue to foster. And so it's easy if someone reaches out and needs advice about a sticky situation in New York. I know that person. I want them to get it right. I don't want their job to be at risk. I want them to be able to come to me and I want to be able to help them. And if I don't have the answers, then I want to be able to use my other resources to help them figure out and just make sure we get it right. And sometimes that means you have to slow people down say, hey, we need to pump the brakes here. Let's really think about this. Let me get some additional information, documentation. Let's make sure we get it right because I don't want you to lose your job or be in any jeopardy of the company having exposure, any of those types of things, if we can avoid that. It seems as though you've learned a lot from your own mentorship relationships and you seem to be in a mentorship position to others. I, I think so. The advice and counsel piece is a piece I did not get when I was in private practice, it was more reactive. So it was more, oh my God, we've got a lawsuit that's been filed. We got to respond to it. Or we've got this demand letter. When you're in-house counsel, you get to be a part of the discussions prior to any issues arise. You get to try to figure out if there is an issue, 
what's the root cause and how can we prevent that issue and how can we improve it going forward as opposed to being so reactive. So to me, that's the part that I enjoy the most is problem solving. I think a good lawyer can identify issues and I think a great lawyer and a great leader can resolve issues. I think that's the biggest difference there. I absolutely love that. I want to talk a little bit about the other work that you do outside of advanced auto parts. So I know that you're an active participant in Minorities in the Profession Committee for many years now and the Burlington Alumni Chapter of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity. What does an active member in these organizations look like? Yeah, I've been a member of Burlington Alumni since 2012. At that time, another one of my mentors from college told me he was starting a new chapter and that he wanted me to join. It made sense for me to join because I had just finished the, the bar. I was practicing law. I had the time. I was just a general member at first. It didn't take long before I was writing articles for the chapter to submit to our national headquarters and just taking on more of a leadership role. Because if I'm going to be in a group, I want to lead it. I want to be at least a leader in the group. The mentor at the time was the president. Within a year, he asked me to become the vice president. I'm like, okay. So I did that for a couple of years. And then he was transitioning into his life to do some other things. And so he was like, well, what do you think about being the president? I'm like, so I did that for, I think maybe five, six years. And then in 2018, I learned that I was going to have a son. So at that time I had to take a step back. I stepped down from being the president primarily because I knew I was going to have a son, but also I feel like when you're the leader of a group, at a certain point, people get tired of hearing you. I had been the leader for several years. I'm like, okay, I don't want to lose the group. I think it's time for somebody else and it just made sense. So yeah, that, that's how I became the president at the time. I'm not as active now as I was before, but I am still a member of the chapter. That's awesome. Also, I think our kids are pretty close in age. You said you had your son in 2017? Well, I had him in 2019, so he'll be three. He'll be three this year. Okay. Yeah. My daughter uh, is three now. Okay. And my son is four. So play date? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I really liked what you said about this idea that after you've been the president for a long time, sometimes you need another voice that you want to make sure that there's other people that are going to be in leadership as well so that the people that are benefiting from this committee continue to hear different kinds of voices. I think that's really important. I think that many times people get into leadership positions and they hold real tight to that, even if it's not beneficial to the larger organization. I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you said, which is that you had the ability to see that it was time for someone else to have a chance to impact this organization. I think it's important. I think it shows the, the strength in your organization as well. If you've got one person leading all the time, is there anybody else in there that has a shred of talent that can lead? And I think it shows that, yeah, we do. We're going to have different leaders. The guy who I followed up after. He was a phenomenal leader and has always been a phenomenal leader as long as I've known him. But he and I have different leadership styles. And the guy that came in after me, his leadership style is different than mine. And I think that's great. It just demonstrates how much talent and skills we have within the organization. And what kind of impact would you say that, uh, and we're talking about the minorities in the profession committee, what kind of impact is this committee having? Yeah, minorities in profession, which is a subcommittee of the North Carolina Bar Association, we have the program I talked to you about where I got my internship opportunity like 11 years ago, all types of just different programming to engage law students and allow them opportunities to really see what a practitioner looks like, 
develop mentorship relationships, just to have people that you can reach out to and ask questions as you're trying to figure out what it looks like to be an attorney in North Carolina. And I can take it a step further to be a minority attorney in North Carolina, because that's an important distinction as well. So through that program, I was able to actually see attorneys who look like me, who previously I had not seen really in the practice. So that was very important to me. And I knew that I wanted to be a part of that. And the guy who gave me an opportunity as an intern 11 or 12 years ago, he's now the president of the North Carolina Bar Association. It's funny how it works. I talked to him like literally a week and a half ago. And he was telling me about the job and how it was going. And he was like, hey, I won't reach out to you unless I really need you. I'm like, if you need me for anything, let me know. I'm happy to help. But again, that's just his nature, just a very humble servant, even as the president. I'm like, dude, if you need me, just let me know, right? But that's yeah. just his nature. And, and that, I think that makes him a great leader. You said something earlier that there is a distinction between a minority and the profession in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So I just mean, obviously, if you are a minority and you're a lawyer in North Carolina, and that's, just, that, that's different from just being a, a, an attorney in North Carolina who's a non-minority. It's not a very diverse area. I think African-Americans make up maybe 5% of the legal community. And in the spaces that I've been in, I've been in basically big law firms, it's even less. So there was a time, especially when I was in private practice, where I literally didn't work with a senior African-American attorney until I had been practicing for eight years. Wow. It just was, there was no diversity really at, at these big law firms. So I got involved in these other groups because I wanted to feel like I still was involved and I was still in touch with my people. And so that's why I did Minorities in the Profession. There's another group that I'm involved with. It's called the National Employment Law Council. And then there's a group that was founded now about 30 years ago in Chicago by four African-American attorneys who represent management and employment law matters. I think it was back in like 2014, I was trying to get into employment law. And I served on the panel at my law school, North Carolina Central University School of Law. One of the panelists was a guy who worked in-house for a big retail company in North Carolina. At the end of the panel, I introduced myself to him. I said, hey, my name is Sydney. I, I like what you had to say. I'm really trying to get into employment law. He was like, well, have you ever heard of NELC? They're having an annual meeting in about a month. You should look it up and consider going. My firm paid for it and I was able to go. When I got there, he introduced me to a lot of his network and people that were practicing employment lawyers across the country. And that kind of helped me get my foot in the door. And then from there, I was able to use my own connections and my abilities to meet people and build relationships. And a lot of those folks, including him, are still people that are part of my life now on a professional and on a personal level. I have to say your ability to connect with people is really admirable. It's not easy for everyone to do that, to be at a conference where you walk up afterwards and say, I really liked what you had to say. I think it's incredible that you're able to do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I want for our listeners today, especially for the future leaders in the legal industry, the people that are graduating or in law school that are listening today, to really think very deeply about the words and the actions of your story, because this is the type of stuff that really helps people make the connections, create these like really meaningful relationships and also helps them learn what they want to do with their career. Yes, thank you very much. Absolutely. So I did, you know, some research on you before, <laughs> like I do with all my guests. And you talked about earlier about how you hadn't worked with a single senior black 
attorney for many years. And it reminded me of a quote when you first talked about wanting to be a lawyer in the first place and that you had actually never seen a black attorney and you wanted to be attorney starting in the second grade. Am I right? That's great. So you have this world where you haven't seen anyone like you be an attorney. What drives you to want to do that? Talk to me about that journey from second grade. Yeah. So it's funny. This is going to blow your mind. So the second grade teacher, her name is was Mrs. McCarroll. Years later, I'm in a group chat with some of my friends and my fraternity brothers. And somebody asked me, like, what made you decide to go to law school? And I'm like, the second grade teacher, Mrs. McCarroll. So a guy in the group chat was like, that's my aunt. No. I'm, like, you, I'm like, you can't be serious. He was like, I'm going to tell her that you said hello. I said, please do. Please give her my email. I'd love to hear from her. And she emailed me. I had not heard from her, had not seen her in 30 years. Probably. Nettie McCarroll. Nettie is her first name. She's like, I'm proud of you. And within the last year, she reached out to me again via email just to say that she was proud of me. I'm like, crazy. That is amazing. What about her helped you on your journey to want to become an attorney? So I didn't even know what a lawyer was in the second grade. I remember her basically saying, you talk a lot. And so you should think about law school. And at the time, I, I didn't really think much of it because I didn't know what it was. I, maybe I said something to my mother about it, but I did not know anybody. My parents didn't know anybody who were lawyers. When I got to high school, I did a shadowing of a judge. My mother, she didn't know her personally, but she had reached out somehow and I was able to shadow her for a day. She was an African-American female judge in family court. I just remember her literally throwing people in jail that day for not paying child support. And I remember her throwing women in jail. So I was like, my God. But yeah, that was the first black lawyer that I saw, but I did not know her personally. Here's to your second grade teacher, Nettie. Yes. Mm -hmm. It just shows how important good teachers are. Yes. And to any teacher that potentially could be listening, we appreciate you. <laughs> Seriously. We definitely appreciate you. Thank you all what you do. We've talked actually quite a bit about your mom. She helped you with getting the internship with the judge. She's really been pivotal in how you grew up and how you approach life. But you also have a really interesting talk that I saw online where you talk about your father and how he said, sometimes you have to walk alone. Can you talk to me about that? Because it was a really powerful talk and I would love our listeners to hear about this. Yeah, my dad is a, a man of few words, but when my dad spoke, he usually has something really important to say. And he always said, you have to be your own man. You have to be a leader. Don't be a follower. He would always talk to me about that. So I just took it to heart. And I always think about my journey to get to law school and to get out of law school and become a lawyer. It was a very lonely journey. I think about the year I was studying for the bar, everybody was in Indiana where my fraternity was founded, celebrating, and I'm sitting in the law library studying. I could have taken some time away from my studies to go, but I was like, nope, I'm going to just stay focused. I'm going to do what I have to do. And even during law school, when our friends were having events or things were going on, and I'm just like, I can't go. I want to go. I want to be there, but I got to do this. If I give it my all in the most successful, it's because it wasn't meant to be. But if I don't give it my all in the most successful, then that's on me. So I just had to go at it alone. I remember thinking about the bar exam and I remember praying, please let nobody in my family or none of any of my friends be sick or get hurt during this period. I just need this period to focus so that I can get through it and be done with it. And thank God that's how it worked out. But yeah, I felt like it was a very lonely journey. 
It is. And it really resonated with me when you talked about there are times where you're just going to have to make these decisions and you have to make them alone. And making decisions alone is a really scary thing because you can't always go to someone and be like, is this the right thing? Can I brainstorm with you? Our growth is being able to make confident decisions or sometimes not so confident decisions about our life because we're staying focused on the goal. I think it was a great talk. It was empowering for me to be like, yeah, sometimes you just have to make those decisions alone. And I I don't know about you, but I feel like every time you do it, you get a little stronger and you get a little more confident in making that next decision. I think you do. I think you do. I agree. I wanted to ask you a few rapid fire questions if I could. So first and foremost, what does leadership in the law mean to you? I think a lawyer who leads is a lawyer who listens, right? Who listens, who really asks probing questions and who understands what the issue is. I know when I'm speaking to my stakeholders and folks that I'm advising, I have a rule. I need to be listening way more than I need to be talking. Because sometimes folks will tell you a situation, but you need to probe them a little bit more to really get to what the, the root cause is. And the only way you can get that is by listening and then asking follow-up questions. I think a servant leader as well, somebody who isn't afraid to get in there and roll their sleeves up and do the dirty work as well. My, my manager is, is a prime example of that. She's somebody who works extremely hard. And I never have an issue working hard because I know that she's working hard. My entire life, when I worked for people or played sports, when I saw that the leadership had that same level of work hard, of um, the ability to work hard, I didn't have a problem doing it. I've only had issues when I felt like someone was holding me to a standard that, that they weren't holding themselves to. I try to hold myself to a standard of, look, anything I'm asking you to do, I'll be willing to do myself as well. You can see that. Hopefully that will inspire you and hopefully you won't have an issue with me asking the questions that I'm asking or asking you to do the things that I'm asking you to do because I'll do it as well. It's wise words. I like that. Here's another question for you. What is one thing about the legal profession that you would change? Diversity. Easy. That's the easy one, right? I feel like I've been a champion for diversity since I've been in the legal community. I remember when I was at my first law firm, I had a diverse attorney who was maybe a couple years ahead of me. And I remember... Anytime I had a question that I didn't want to ask a more senior person, she would answer my question. And that was very impactful to me. Her name is Heather. She still practices at that same firm. She's a great person. I took from that, that when I was in the position to, to be a, a leader, that I was going to always make time for folks that had questions because I know how it is to have a question and feel like you don't have anybody that you can ask. That's been very important, important for me to give back in that way. What would an achievement in diversity look for you in the legal industry? I would love to see more attorneys of color working at these firms that are doing the work for these big corporations. Give you an example. This is not my company, but when I was in private practice, a guy told me a story. A big company, I'm not going to say the name, they had uh, attorneys who were doing the work for this company for years, and they probably made hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. For this particular company, the company got a new general counsel who was an African-American female. And so she went to meet with all of her outside counsel and they brought five non-diverse males to that meeting. And she asked them whatever questions she asked them about the work. And then she said, well, tell me this, what have any of you ever done for a diverse employee at your law firm? And I was told that they didn't have any answers. Wow. Within a week or so, she told them. You will no longer be doing work for this company, right? To me, that's bold action. It's saying, I want the people that are doing the work for my company to mirror 
my workforce. My workforce is not, in that case, it was five white guys. My workforce doesn't look like that. I want to see all types of people there. I want to see that reflected in the attorneys working on the matters that, that I'm working on. And so for me, I definitely want to be looking for intentionally diverse lawyers to work on the matters that I work on. That's important. And I think if more people thought about it like that, then we'd be in a better place. Also, I think it's important to be out and, and, and show minorities that you can be a lawyer and you can be successful and you can also do good as well in terms of you can make money. That's fine. But you can do good work as well. And you can be a role model. Like for me, if I had seen that when I was younger, I may have, obviously I would have still probably been a lawyer, but my path wouldn't have been as, as difficult as it was, but it'd been a lot easier because I'd have known people that I could have reached out to directly and gotten information. I had to figure it all out by myself. So I think those are a couple of things that I would say. It is representative of the important shift that needs to be made in the legal industry, provides a connection to your story and not being able to see that and wanting to see more of that and being able to provide that. And I think you said something else that you wrote down or you were quoted. It said, it is my duty to pass along my experience to younger generations. Yes, it is. Because the guy I was telling you about who's the president of the Bar Association, if he didn't reach out to me, I wouldn't be where I am today. So it is my duty. It is my obligation. I take it seriously. I can see that. What is a piece of practical advice that you would give to our listeners who are leaders and future leaders looking to follow your lead? Be confident in yourself. I think that's the most important thing. One thing that my mother instilled in me was that, look, you're not better than anybody, but nobody's better than you. And there are going to be times when you may feel like a fish out of water and you may feel like everybody's looking at you. But a lot of times they are feeling just as lost as you are. Like I remember being in law school and being in certain classes. I literally would be sitting in class thinking I am completely lost. And people would raise their hands and say different things. Sometimes they made sense. Sometimes they didn't. But I remember it took me a while to get to the point where I realized some of these people in this class are faking it. They want to look like they know it, but they really don't. What's going to really tell the story is that exam. And I guarantee you on that exam, I'll be prepared. Be confident in yourself. Know that nobody is better than you. Know that you're not better than anybody else. Be open and receptive to constructive criticism. Because that's the way we grow. Sometimes people want to be praised 100% of the time. And it's tough to hear when you don't meet what somebody's expectations for you may be. But if you have high expectations for yourself, then you won't have to worry about expectations for others because your expectations will probably always be a little bit higher. But also, I think you have to give yourself some grace and know that you're not perfect. Sometimes you, you, you may not hit the mark. You may not hit the ball out of the park, as they say. But I think if you continue to come back and continue to work and you're consistent in, in your grind, then you will achieve whatever goal it is that you have set for yourself. The discussion around how it's the exam that really tells the story. I think that's so important, especially in law school where you're like called on. I don't know about you, but when I was called on in law school, I had such fear and I never felt like I knew enough, even though I'd read the cases and everything. It's you're put on the spot. Everyone's looking at you. But at the end of the day, the exam is what matters. It's not the performance of the classroom. So I think that is so wise. And yeah, this idea of a feedback, being open to that feedback, but also giving yourself grace. It's a lot of really great things, Sydney. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I really appreciate it. If other leaders and future leaders wanted to get in touch with you, what is the best way they can connect with you? Sure. Yeah. I'm on LinkedIn. Just my name, Sydney Mentor. So S I D N E Y Mentor, M I N T E R. I'm also on Twitter, and it's just 
at Sydney Mentor ESQ. Well, thank you so much, Sydney. Thank you. Thank you, leaders and future leaders, for listening today. We have a new guest every week, so don't forget to join us next week. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe or follow us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also follow at Lawyers Who Lead on social. Let's celebrate and continue to build a community of leaders in law together. Lawyers Who Lead is made possible by Lawline, the leading online platform for lawyers who want engaging, relevant CLE and professional growth content. For over 20 years, Lawline has helped hundreds of thousands of attorneys level up by providing award-winning courses in hard-to-find areas and high-demand fields. They have so many courses to choose from that are actually really interesting to listen to and watch. That's why Lawline's rated the highest in the industry, with almost five stars and over a thousand verified reviews on Trustpilot. Lawyers Who Lead listeners get $100 off Lawline's unlimited annual subscription, which means you can take as many courses as you want for a really good price. Just visit lawline.com slash podcast to get the special offer. Check out Lawline for the best content for leaders and future leaders in legal.